What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the D.C. Sports Huddle. It is, as always, brought to you by our friends at MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience a sports fan's paradise. I am Rob Woodford here alongside George Wallace and Dave Preston. And uh, I don't know if you heard, but finally the tree is down at Dave's place, George. Breaking news. I thought we wait till after the Super Bowl. No, it's it's usually the week between the championship game and the Super Bowl. It's a tradition unlike get, any. Oh. I didn't get my evite. Did you get your yeah. evite, Rob? <laughs> no, I, I very seldom get evites. But I also blocked uh, Dave Preston's email, so that might have something to do with fair, it. Fair so point. Uh, we have Super Bowl 57 coming up. It is a historic game for a number of reasons, which we will delve into here. We'll talk about some of our favorite storylines in uh, what is, uh, this is a great statistic, the most evenly matched Super Bowl in the history of Super Bowls because the Chiefs and Eagles enter this game with identical 16-3 and records. They both scored 546 points on the year. All uh, They, they have uh, a Kelsey brother and their quarterback among six all pros, each team with the exact same thing, and they're both the one seed in their respective conferences. It's been years since we've had the one seeds advance to the Super Bowl uh, in the same season. So this is uh, a great matchup on paper, but on the field, Dave Preston, what are you looking for? I like the Kansas City Chiefs uh, because they have the more experienced coach. They have the more experienced quarterback and uh, fortune does favor those who have been there before. Now we've seen first time Super Bowl teams go in and beat uh, teams that have won the championship just a couple years prior. So, you know, the stranger things have happened. I, I just like what Kansas City does offensively. Patrick Mahomes has had two weeks to let that ankle heal. Chiefs ended the regular season first in the NFL and scoring first in total yards, first in passing and passing efficiency. Now everyone says, watch out for the Philly pass rush. Well, yes, Philly had 70 sacks, and that's the most in the NFL. But who was number two? Kansas City with 55. So the Chiefs can get after the passer as well. And also, this is a one-game situation. Right. I mean, to have a great season, obviously, the first example I go to, and it's going to pain Dave to hear this again, yeah. the uh, undefeated Patriots season. I mean, they were a juggernaut for the first 18 games they played, and then they get to the Super Bowl, and uh, just the, what was in the regular season, a mediocre right. Giants team uh, kind of controlled that game, even though it was a close game. They, they had control of it for much of it. Uh, George Wallace, what are you uh, looking for in Super Bowl 57? Same thing. <laughs> just Love that. Did okay, a- we're done. We're done. <laughs> Here's an interesting fact, though. The designated home team is 23 and 33 in Super Bowls. They've lost 12 of the last 16. And the Eagles are the home team. So there's something magical about wearing the white jerseys, even though it's not unique to which jersey you're wearing, per se. But well, uh, fortune favors white, those who are the quote-unquote road team. The team in white apparently has won 36 of 56 Super Bowls. Yeah, and 15 of the last 18. Put that in your hat. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's all. Uh... I, I'm leaning towards uh, Kansas City as well. Third time being there, I think obviously a couple years ago did not end the way Mahomes and that squad wanted to. They had a chip on their shoulder to get back last year. I mean, I, I just think that they – know what it takes to get there and get it done. Now, it's not saying that that rookie can't, rookies can't get it done. We saw Sean McVay do it last year. That's fine. I get it. And anything can happen. But I just say, it, you know, Andy Reid against Nick Sirianni. You know, Sirianni's a guy who's just like, I don't, you know, he's talking about this chip on his shoulder of being fired by Andy Reid. Give me a break. I mean, that's, come on. You know, you're in the Super Bowl now. But 
you know, Andy Reid has had some flubs at the end of games. Yes, that is true. But in a big game like that, and as it comes down to it, a guy that has been there, I think I give the edge to uh, coach and quarterback in this situation. So and I think Kansas City has more to lose with this game, meaning that I agree. if they don't get that second Super Bowl championship, they become the Atlanta Braves of this generation where they – haven't just made five straight AFC championship games. They've had home field. They have been yeah. easily the <clears throat> best team if if they awarded regular season championships over the last you know decade or so. They year in and year out, they've been awesome under Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. And for them to just have one Super Bowl uh, title to their credit right now, they need another one or two to do themselves justice. That's not like hanging an attendance banner, right? Or AFC finalist. Yeah, that's a little different. Look, guys, I have the Chiefs in this game because uh, it's kind of what George was talking about. I mean, the first thing I look at when I try to pick games or or predict what's going to happen with any football game or season, who's the coach, who's the quarterback? And in those two areas, even though I think the Philadelphia Eagles have the better roster top to bottom, I think that the Chiefs have the advantage because they have the more experienced coach. They have the more, you know, legendary coach, and uh, they definitely have the better quarterback, even though there is a case to be made for Jalen Hurts as the MVP. But let me, uh, because you this came to my mind as you were talking, Dave, let's say Kansas City wins this game. And I think all three of us have picked Kansas City to right. win this game. They win this game. That's two Super Bowl victories in, what is it, a four-year span, five-year span? Are yeah. we talking dynasty with this team with a win? I don't think you talk dynasty until you've won that third. Exactly. I think you, you, need, you, three you, like you need a, a third, and it span. needs to be, yeah. back in the day, the Raiders won three Super Bowls, but over an eight-year span. So yeah, could you call them a dynasty? They had two different quarterbacks. Could you do that? That's that. That's a sticky thing. I think if they win three and six or even three and seven uh, with the same crew, uh, with, with Kelsey, with Mahomes, with Reed, with a lot of the same personnel, I think you can call them a dynasty. I know that you guys look at coaching quarterback first and second. I look at, is the team playing at 10 a.m.? Body clock time. That's that's the first thing. Second time, do they play in London last week? That's and then third, do they play on a Thursday and are they given an extra six hours off thing? So you know, coach and quarterback are important. But I'm going to go ahead and say that's not going to be a factor in a Super no. Bowl that's played at uh, what is it six thirty, give or take three thirty out there. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, nobody's body clock will be adversely affected by that. Uh, favorite Super Bowl storyline. The Kelsey brothers, I think, are playing in this game. There may have been some talk about that. My inbox is full of emails from our boss giving us uh, uh, clips and sound bites from the Kelsey brothers podcast. So that hey, is they have a podcast. That is absolutely not my favorite storyline. My favorite storyline, and I think you guys already know, it's the first Super Bowl featuring two black starting quarterbacks. And George Wallace actually just spoke to uh, Doug Williams, uh, which we will uh, touch on in a little bit. But um, he's the one who laid the foundation for this. And we talked at length about that in last week's episode. This is a game that you talk about the MVP conversation. I mean, black quarterbacks are at the front of it. Jalen Hurts is at the front of it. Patrick Mahomes is at the front of it. And we talked about it this last week that Doug Williams, the importance of that game was not just that he was the first black quarterback to start in a game. He played lights out. He was the MVP of the game. He might have been the best player on the field and had to leave the field with a knee injury, came back on and still played well. So 
you look at these two players, they are at the forefront of the MVP conversation. I'm going to go ahead and say that they're both probably going to play well in this game. When I give my game prediction, uh, you'll you'll see why. But I think that uh, both of these guys are, are going to play well. And I think that you look around the NFL, no matter what your top 10, if you're ranking the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, there's no possible way that you can do that without at least five black quarterbacks being in that conversation, no matter who your 10 are. So I think that this uh, signals uh, sort of a, a shift in what a quarterback looks like in the NFL, both in terms of his visage and also in the manner in which he plays. Mobility is more important at the quarterback position than it has been in a long time. And so if, if I think this is the first and we should talk about it, but I also believe that it's going to be the um, the impetus for more Super Bowls featuring two black quarterbacks. Because, I mean, look at it, Lamar Jackson, uh, Justin Fields. These are guys who are kind of that at that next tier, maybe below these two guys. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we're going to see uh, those guys in the Super Bowl in the not-too-distant future. So I think that's an important storyline. I'm glad that it's getting the attention that it is. Jalen Hurts has the has an all-female management staff, too. So his agent, Nicole Lynn, is the first black woman to represent a player who's in the Super Bowl. So a lot of uh, great black history nuggets as uh, the NFL uh, celebrates its Super Bowl in the uh, beginning here of uh, Black History Month. Uh, George Wallace, what's your uh, favorite storyline going into the game? I like that one as well, and it was interesting, Doug. I asked as 11 starting quarterbacks now, black starting quarterbacks, I go, you know, where would you like to see more progress being made? And he talked about the coaches and general managers and how these guys are just like he did. He prepared as the quarterback of the Redskins at that time. He wasn't even thinking about it was historic. Yes, he understood it, but he's preparing to play and be the best he can on the field. And that's what these guys are doing as well. And he thinks that these guys are going to be able to handle it perfectly because of the way they are, because of just, you know, just the kind of people that they are. So I like that uh, storyline. I do like the Andy Reid facing his former team, just the fifth coach to face his former team in the Super Bowl. Had a long discussion, trivia question, discussion about this in the newsroom yesterday, trying to name the five. We got four out of the five. I don't know if you guys want to think about it, maybe come up with it. I know the answer is right up here. Okay. Uh, but I, I like that. What do you mean? Okay. You know the answer? Uh, I, I know that. Uh, let, it probably happened in the 70s, so that's right in Dave's wheelhouse. Well, let's see. Let's see. if he, Let's go. Let's go through this. <laughs> I know that one is Dan Reeves. Okay. Yeah, I right. know that one is Weave Eubank. Very good. That's the one I didn't coached get. the Colts before he coached the Jets. Uh-huh. Um, those those are the two that jump out at me. Uh, you know, you know, straight from the get go. Andy um, reads three, so you got two. You're missing two. Okay, okay. So I need I, I I need two more at this time. Okay. It's a fun game. One yeah. I didn't even think game. about. One one you were missing that you should get pretty easily. And one, I, it took a second. Oh, Shula. Sh- uh, no, 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 no. Shula, Shula uh, changed teams, but but never faced the uh, Colts, obviously, because they were in the same conference. We can come back to this. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll just sporadically <laughs> shout out names throughout the course of the rest uh, of the Okay. Okay. But I do like every other episode. I like the Andy Reid going against his former team. That's a fun yeah. storyline as well. Yeah. The Kelsey thing is going to, it's way overdone. That's fine. We get it. It's it, that is fun too. I mean, mom and the other thing the, is they're way over emphasizing the mom is Ed Kelsey dead. Like what happened, man? Why mom's, well, Cause Kelsey? mom's mom's bring cookies. That's why I guess so. But I mean, yeah, both players. As, as a father, let's have some, let's have some, uh, both parental representation here. Equal time. Come on. What's kind of disappointing in that whole thing is that Yes, no love for the dad. It's like the dad passed away, and it's like, right. no, he's still to... with us. I'm surprised that's because there are so many people who are outside of 
who cover these teams, who come out for the Super Bowl. I am shocked that somebody on, you know, ABC, not ABC Sports, but ABC, you know, Good Morning America or NBC or something like that and saying, oh, you know, it's amazing. The poor Kelsey brothers, you know, grew up without a father and their mother's been there. No, no, no. Their, their father's still alive. And, 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 and this is him right here. And he was on the he was on the podcast, too. So it's just like right. there's no love for Papa Kelsey, who I'm sure had a hand in raising these guys just as much as the mom. Dave, what was your favorite storyline? I don't remember if we... It's kind of twofold right now. We're going to throw Jay Gruden into the mix as one of the guys he coached Please against don't. the Raiders while with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So John Gruden, actually. John. There you John, go. John. That's, that's four. Oh, right. Oh, man. Not that's Jay. Not Jay, but got. John. So that's three. I need one more. You need one more. Uh, <laughs> first, I'm going to get to our point. Roster building and construction of uh, championship teams. You look at how Kansas City has been able to keep this nucleus together over the span of the last five, six, seven years where they've been cranking out division titles, even changing a quarterback. Alex Smith was the QB for part of this run. And so, the, you know, Kansas City has a chance to maybe not be a dynasty, but continue to be the model of roster building in the 2020s. And on the other end of the spectrum, Philadelphia, they won a Super Bowl not too long ago. Completely blew things up. Got rid of this guy, Peterson, Doug Peterson, second most famous Peterson on this program. Don, we love you too. But Doug, <laughs> to look at, say, a team, maybe one that plays in Landover, trains in Ashburn, uses another area as its uh, official name to say, hey, we're on a two or a three or a four-year plan to get things going and build this roster. Here's a team that was in last place just two years ago, 4-11-1, mind you, basically tanked the last game of the season, even though you won't hear anyone say that officially. And within two years, they're playing for a championship. You've got a lot of nervous coaches looking around saying, yeah. oh, yeah, we're right on track. Oh, yeah, really? Uh, we just slow and steady wins the race. Not with the Eagles, not with what they've been able to do in two years. So I think it's fascinating the way that both of these teams have a chance to win a second Super Bowl in a short period of time, and both have gone about the things in completely different ways. But also the Eagles didn't – I mean, the cupboard wasn't bare. I mean, no. they went 4-11 for uh, – I think injuries were a big part of that. And, I mean, I don't cover that team as, you know, as closely, but I remember injuries being a part of that. I remember having your quarterback – uh, Carson Wentz <laughs> fall off a cliff uh, virtually inexplicably. So it's just like some of that is a little flukish. And it's like you walk into right. that situation and they happen to get a home run with uh, with Jalen Hurts in the second round. I thought that was a guy who was a first round talent that should have been selected higher than he was. And uh, I don't know that I give them full credit for that because they kind of were, uh, for lack of a better term, they were just kind of born on first base as it pertains to building that team. The Kansas City Chiefs, though, I would, to your point, Dave, I do think it's interesting because when they signed Patrick Mahomes to that mega deal, I was like, all right, well, there goes their window of Super Bowl contention because you're not going to be able to keep a lot of key players around him. Right. Like, that's a huge uh, cap number that's going to be an albatross for that team. And quite frankly, it's just more advantageous for you to be in the situation the Philadelphia Eagles are in, where you have a quarterback who's on a rookie contract and you're able to amass a bunch of talent around him so that he doesn't have to go out there and be Superman. But with uh, Mahomes, I mean, you let go of uh, the cheetah. Uh, he goes to Miami, gets a bunch of money, and uh, you take the picks and then you just keep on chugging along, getting uh, getting to Super Bowls into the AFC Championship game. 
every year in what is the most difficult conference in the NFL. So uh, that's, you know, hat tip to them, man. And that's why the stick around here, so you can't use it. I mean, people see through it. I mean, you say yeah. this whole three to five year thing, you know, it's not, the NFL is not built for that. You can, you see what teams have been able to do quickly. And, you know, for Ron Rivera to keep kind of, that's his spiel. It's just not, that's why people get frustrated because you can be done. Yeah. And it's amazing what a quarterback can do for you, isn't it? It yep. just truly is. Yep. And this team has just missed on every single one. They've missed on every single one while Cam Newton still remains out there. there uh, bold prediction for the game, guys. I'm going to say Chris Jones, who never had a postseason sack in his career until this year. He's going to double his playoff total. He's going to have two and a half sacks in the Super Bowl, two of them forcing fumbles recovered by Kansas City to set up scores. And it'll help the Chiefs win 31 to 27. Do you have a bold prediction, Dave? Because I know that you've always got some crazy stuff. Yeah, I do. We count a, a former assistant coaches like Bill Belichick was an assistant. Okay, uh, and, and okay, I, I have twenty five thirteen. Twenty five thirteen Chiefs. I had twenty five eleven, but I think they get a late safety. So I, I, I think that's I think the pass rush gets to Hurts, and that's a surprise. I think I think they'll uh, the, the Kansas City pass rush will will make some big plays, and we will see a healthy Mahomes uh, be able to do what the magic that he is able to do. And it's going to be a coronation of uh, Patrick Mahomes. Is we've he's been the best quarterback in the league for some time, but it's it's going to get everyone talking in this offseason and through twenty twenty three that wow, this guy is freaking awesome and he is at a level uh, especially when you look at a lot of veteran quarterbacks uh, leaving the game or at the tail end of their careers Brady retiring uh, Big Ben retiring recently Aaron Rodgers uh, you know doing whatever it is that he's doing now this new crop of uh, quarterbacks that are reaching their prime and Patrick Mahomes is exhibit A in what it means to quarterback in the 21st century he's going to be awesome this uh, year all right George Wallace I, I I'm tempted to be one of those last team to have it wins it. You know, Mahomes gets him in position. I think the Chiefs win by three, but I don't think it's going to be a last second thing. I think the Eagles will score and maybe not get an onside kick. I go, I'm going 31 28 red. So basically, my score, I said 31 27. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're of like mind in so many ways, George. And uh, uh, I think we're of like mind when it comes to the uh, greatest NBA player of all time debate. We're going to. Uh, delve into LeBron James and the uh, amazing night in Los Angeles. Uh, we're recording this the day after. So you got to stop calling him King James. You got to call him scoring King James because right. he's the all time leading scorer in NBA history. And for years, there's been a debate as to whether he is the greatest player of all time or Michael Jordan. I have resisted this debate to this point for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I don't think it's fair to compare players in different eras and who played different positions. And quite frankly, you have to put down one in order to support the player that you're trying to support. And I've just never wanted to, like, right. I don't care for that because they're both great. They're both singularly great. The other thing is most of the people who pick LeBron James as the greatest player of all time or, or say that he is, is somebody who's not old enough to have watched Michael Jordan play in his prime. Right. I watched Michael Jordan play in his prime. I grew up, I fell in love with the NBA watching Michael Jordan. In fact, the first basketball I watched in my life, I was a 12 year old kid, summer of 91 watching uh, Bulls versus Lakers. That is what hooked me on the game of basketball with the switch in the hand and all this. 
So y'all can look at the grainy highlights pre-HD and think that you know about Michael Jordan. I watched those games. I watched him, and forget the regular season stuff, the playoffs. When you watch the playoff series, it was a foregone conclusion that if Michael Jordan was on that team, they were going to win, and damn it, if every single time they won. When he had a full season, and I'm you know throwing out the comeback in the middle of the season, and then right. they lose to the throw, throw out the first six or seven years that he was well, in the league but, too. But, but I mean, once he right. crossed that threshold, then right. they were in the finals every year and winning, and they never went to a game seven. So no. this wasn't you know uh, you know lucky three pointer uh, fall away in the corner like we saw for at least one of the LeBrons. This was a foregone conclusion every year, and every year it was correct. So. Yes, LeBron has the longevity, and yes, LeBron, you know, certainly has done some things that Michael hasn't, but I mean, even in winning the scoring title, they showed this uh, statistic during the game. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his career had three, made three-pointers. LeBron made thousands, so without yeah. the benefit of that, and they it's both played game. 20 years, it was a different game, it was a different era, they played different positions, and LeBron made uh, an upwards of, I believe it was about 2,000 more free throws than Kareem did. So it's right. just a completely different era, and, you know, and again, it doesn't detract from his greatness. That's just a fact for yeah. context that they got their different ways. So in this debate, I'm never coming off of there's nothing LeBron could score 50,000 points. And I'm still going to say that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. And it's not to put down LeBron in any way, right? but it's just to say that the sort of greatness that Michael Jordan exhibited cannot be replicated. And it sort of set LeBron up for the success that he's had on some levels. So, uh, it, you know, to me, again, it's, <laughs> You don't want to compare them, but right. if, you, if you put a gun in my head and make me choose, I'm going to say Michael Jordan, and I'm never going to stop saying Michael Jordan. You're a hoops guy, Dave Preston. What do you think of the debate? I'm going to say that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the best ever to play the game. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, 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 I, and I say that with seriousness. I think what made Jordan such a flashpoint for a lot of people who may have come late to the party was that before Michael Jordan came along, the argument was always Russell or Wilt. And Wilt had the stats – Russell had the championships. Michael was that rare combination of stats versus championships. I think you also look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who did nothing but win in college. Back-to-back-to-back NCAA championships when you only played three years of varsity. He won an NBA championship in his second year after being drafted by one of the worst teams in the league. So it wasn't as though they, they, they put a ton of guys around him. Kareem wanted his second year in the league, wanted his second to last season in the league in 1988. Granted, the Lakers were a fantastic team. Jerry West, probably, in my opinion, the best general manager in the history of the game with everything that he had done over the years for the Lakers, uh, put together a, a, an incredible roster. Some of it was luck. Some of it, though, was finding the right guys. But you, you, you look at Kareem, who won a championship in 71, won a championship in 80, won a championship in 82, 85, 87, and 88. Completely different NBAs from 1971 to 1988. Jordan, you could make the case that he won He won his championships 91 through 98. It was pretty much the same league, and there are those who say that expansion watered things down in the latter era. I'm not going to, you know, you, you, you play with what you've got. I think if he hadn't have taken those two years off, though, 
in the middle, they wouldn't have won three on the back end because they were very drained. That team that won it all in 93, they weren't even the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. It took a couple of Charles Smith misses to get them past the Knicks in the uh, in the championship series uh, for the Eastern Conference. So I think if he comes back for a fourth or a fifth year, they, they I don't think they win after three. And I think those two years off gave him the necessary juice to win four playoff rounds back-to-back-to-back years. And I think it also gave the Bulls a chance to really quietly reboot while still trying to maximize the roster that they had. So instead of Paxson, you had Kerr. You you know, instead of uh, Grant, you had Rodman. You know, things were changed a little bit, but you still had Jordan and uh, Pippen dominating on those uh, teams. I think that LeBron James is the best player of the 21st century, and I'm and I'm more than fine to leave it like that because for all and and I'm a Russell guy, you know, in, in my heart of hearts, as far as what he meant to uh, that franchise, 11 championships in 13 years, the two years that he lost was to one of uh, a 67 or a 68 win a Sixer team with Wilt, and uh, the other one was one where he sprained an ankle in the finals against the St. Louis Hawks, as it were. But Bill Russell being able to win running on fumes in 1969 with a 48-win Celtics team and beating a Lakers team that had Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, and Wilt Chamberlain, arguably the three best players at their respective positions. And as player coach, too, for those last two championships, that's one of the reasons why Wilt is my favorite also, or I mean, Bill is my favorite also. Growing up an hour north of Boston, you you grow to appreciate him and his style of play and just his, his presence off the court and his uh, his his role in the civil rights era and, and his role standing up for Muhammad Ali and others. And that's where I think Kareem, as a very young man, he was still Lou Alcindor when he was sitting at the same table as Muhammad Ali, who refused his draft induction. You know, whereas you look at, you know, Michael Jordan, who, hey, Republicans buy shoes, too. And granted, he's made a ton of money, but that's where everyone has to make their own decisions. And that's the thing is, we're just talking about the on court, because obviously off the court, LeBron has had way more impact than Michael Jordan in terms of the socially conscious voice. He's the first billionaire to be, you know, as an active player. So he's the uh, guy who I want to be the owner of the commanders. Hey, how about that? I I brought that up first right here on the home. Yes, you did. I mean, Um, I I just can't in my heart of hearts say that, you know, I think Kareem was greater over a greater period of time. And that's the thing. Well, factors into it, but the concentration of greatness that Michael Jordan had over the course of his career. And I know he, you know, retired three times and all of that, fine. But LeBron's longevity, yes, it is remarkable and it deserves all the credit in the world. But again, when you talk about the high concentration of greatness, I mean, LeBron lost almost as many finals as Michael Jordan won. So George Wallace in this debate that, again, I prefaced by saying I don't super love this debate because it's sort of comparing apples and oranges, but just uh, real quick, between Michael and, and LeBron, or if you do have another guy who you think is the greatest NBA player of all time. I mean, real quick, he just spoke for six minutes. He did just speak for six minutes. There's going to be a heavy Sorry. process. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm an MJ guy. Look, it's not the points. It's, this, it's, it's the overall thing. So as a competitor, yeah. MJ lost to the Pistons so many times. You have to beat your foe to get to the top. He didn't run from that. Did lose the finals. Just for me... A guy that was there, like t- that, that was able to get it done in the clutch, night in, night out, playoff series after playoff series. 
And yes, I mean, the NBA is different. You're talking about different, the way the league was different. And yeah, I mean, LeBron is a, is a massive human being. Like he is a spectacle. Yes. But the NBA, like those guys got their ass beat all the time. <laughs> and, it, it, and it was just, and it's, I know you say now, okay, LeBron would have been fine in that league because of the way he's built. I get that. But to, to go through all that and then Jordan stay with one team, you had to take down the Pistons, you beat the Knicks, like those guys, for me, that's what makes me more of an MJ guy as far as the greatest. Right. Pete and Carroll. That, right. Yes, you yeah, got it. it. Very good. There it is. You got <laughs> it. Took them the whole show to do it, too. Look at you. Uh, yeah, that, as a matter of fact, I mean, that's a great way to close the show. But uh, Dave wanted to uh, touch on the uh, Capitals before we close. They come back from the All-Star break this Saturday, guys. They're at Boston, who happens to have the best record, not just in their division, but in the entire league. They then play six of seven at home. But six of their next nine games will be against contenders. You hate to keep on saying that there's a crucial stretch ahead, but where they are, where they're hanging on to one of the wild card spots, fourth place in the Metro Division, and they've played more games than everyone else. So they they need to keep that cushion. And uh, with an older team, it's going to be a major challenge coming up. So there's a lot of uh, big games, couple against Carolina, who leads the Metro, uh, and, and, a, and a lot against a few other contenders, too. So... To repeat myself again, another crucial stretch ahead for the Capitals beginning Saturday. If I got a dollar for every time we heard that, right? Uh, This was a uh, fun addition, guys. Uh, Nostalgic and uh, prescient in some ways. But uh, the D.C. Sports Huddle, as always, brought to you by MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience the sports fans' paradise. I am Rob Woodfork signing off alongside... George Wallace and Dave Preston. We will uh, break the huddle and bring it back next week.